If you remember back to when you were in school, and that's always more of a challenge for some of us than it is for others, but if you can remember back to when you were in school, you remember that we were taught the very basic things first, the things easier to understand, but then more complicated things later on would draw upon that base of knowledge that you had. For instance, of course, uh, when you were in the very earliest grades of school, they taught you basic arithmetic, addition and subtraction. You had to learn how to add and subtract. And do you remember all those drills that we went through? Maybe even flashcards that your parents used to help you remember those basics of arithmetic, addition and subtraction. If you went further in your education, and if you got into some more, much more complex mathematical subject like analytical geometry or calculus or something like that, you know what? You were still drawing upon those first basic, very fundamental lessons of addition and subtraction. You took what was simple and you applied it to something that was more difficult to understand and to do. Now that's just common sense. Uh, and uh, I, I believe that it's very obvious why that was done in that way. I want to suggest to you that we need to apply that same common sense to our study of the Bible. There are some things that are very basic, clearly understandable, and we need to get those things well-rooted in our minds. And then when we get to some more complex topics, we'll, use those, we'll, we'll, we'll try to address those with the fundamentals, the basics that we have well established in our minds. So that's going to be our idea this morning. We want to look at a a passage that's very clear and easy to understand, and then we'll use it to address some things that some people believe are confusing in the religious world. We want to base our study this morning on the text that Roger read for us earlier from James chapter 2. In fact, if you'll turn your Bibles to James chapter 2, we'll just be spending our time in that text this morning. I think it's familiar to many of us. It's one of those basic arithmetic passages, if you will. It's one of those addition and subtraction kind of concepts that we want to really grab hold of. Then if we get into something that's more difficult to understand, we can use this common understanding to help us. Thanks for being here this morning. As has already been mentioned several times, what a beautiful day we have to join together to worship God. The power of God is evident in His creation, and that's clearly so today. Uh, we should praise Him. We certainly are grateful for the opportunity to join together in worshiping Him. We want Him to be pleased with all we do, and the only way we know to do that is to do what He said the way He said to do it, to worship Him in accordance with His Word, to teach the truth according to the Scriptures. And so that's what we're trying to do here at College View. If you find that there's some question in your mind um, you don't understand, or maybe even disagree, please say so, because we, we feel a, a, a real necessity to work that out. We don't want to be wrong. We don't want anyone to be wrong. We want all to agree upon the truth of God's Word. We think we can do that. And so if you have questions, by all means, please ask them. We have, vis- we have visitors with us today. We're so glad that you came our way, and we hope that you'll come back again and again every time you have a chance to be here. Let's look at James chapter 2 which says that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. That's such an important thing to understand. What I'd like to do with you for just a few moments this morning is to go through the text, sort of take it apart, section by section, and and see the very clear argumentation that James makes. So here in chapter 2, James starts out by giving some simple examples. And this is the section that Roger read for us earlier. 
He says, what does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does that profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. And so, this certainly introduces uh, the main thrust of this text, what James wants us to consider, the linkage between faith and works. He starts out by asking a couple of rhetorical questions and giving a couple of very clear examples that we can obviously understand. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? Now, those are what we refer to as rhetorical questions. The answers to rhetorical questions are obvious, right? That's, that's the idea of rhetorical question. You ask the question, you don't even have to state the answer because the answer is so clearly obvious. For instance, uh, once in a while when people are asking something that's so obvious, uh, uh, for instance, do you like uh, uh, warm apple pie with ice cream? Do you like that? And someone might answer and say, does a cat have whiskers? <laughs> I mean, that, that's so clear and obvious. And so you answer, you answer with a rhetorical question. Does a cat have whiskers? Of course I like warm apple pie with ice cream on top. Or I heard one, uh, well, I've heard it for a number of years. Someone just recently repeated it. Uh, someone asked an obvious question, and the answer was, well, is the Pope a Catholic? Well, yes, the Pope is a Catholic. That's obvious, right? And so that's the, that's the notion of a rhetorical question. And that's basically what James has done here. What profit, uh, what does it profit, my brother, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Well, it doesn't profit at all, right? The answer to that is there's no profit at all. There's no profit to a person who says he has faith but doesn't demonstrate it in his works. And he says, can faith, and he means that kind of faith, that faith which just speaks but doesn't act, can that kind of faith save him? What's the answer to that rhetorical question? The answer is no, right? Can faith like that, faith that has no accompanying works, can that kind of faith save a man? And the answer, of course, is no. James didn't even have to give the answer. The answer is obvious. There's no profit to that kind of faith, and that kind of faith simply cannot save him. Then he gives a very straightforward example. Here's a brother or sister, naked, destitute of daily food. I mean, here's somebody in terrible shape. They don't have any of the basic necessities of life. And you say, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But you don't give him the things that are needful for the body. Does that profit? Well, obviously not, right? You know, here, here's this fellow who's in just absolutely awful shape. He doesn't have anything. He doesn't have enough clothes to stay warm. He doesn't have any food to eat. And you say, be warmed and filled. But you don't give him anything. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? That'd just be a crazy scenario. Well, James says that's the equivalent of saying you have faith but not demonstrating it with your works. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. And so James, I think, has already proved the point that he wants to make, but he's going to go on to, to expand upon this quite a bit more. But this is so very clear. When he gives that kind of an example there, he's, he's asking us to use common sense and logic. When he says, what about the destitute man? And you say be warmed and filled, but you don't give him anything? He's, he's asking us to use our minds to think logically, to draw a reasonable conclusion Every once in a while you hear someone say, 
that we ought to just, when it comes to religious service, we ought to use our hearts and not our heads. You ever heard that argument? They, they complain when we try to present a logical argument to get people to come to a, a necessary conclusion. And, and there are people in the religious world who ridicule that. And they say, oh, you know, when it comes to serving God, you use your heart, not your head. I don't think so, do you? What's James doing right there? Seems like he's calling upon us to use our heads, doesn't it? What's common sense indicate? Common sense says you've got to act upon what you say. And when it comes to serving God, faith has to be linked with works. Otherwise, it's of no profit whatsoever. Actually, as I said, I think James has already proved the point here, but he's going to go on. In the very next verse, he poses what is an impossible challenge. He says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Get this. James is saying it's impossible to prove you have faith without working. He's making an impossible challenge there. I, he, basically, James is saying, I challenge you. Prove you have faith without works. That'd be sort of like me standing up here this morning and saying, I, personally, will give a million dollars to anybody in the assembly this morning who can run next year's Boston Marathon at a record-setting pace. All right? Now, someone says, Greg, you don't even have a million dollars. You don't even have close to a million dollars. How can you make it... For because I'm certain that there's nobody here who can do that, right? It's an impossible challenge. There's nobody in this room this morning who's going to run the Boston Marathon next year at a record-setting pace, right? So I think I can make that challenge without fear of it ever being taken. No one here can do that. Now, there are people in the world who can, but we're not, none of us here are going to do that, right? That's basically what James has done here. He has stated an impossible challenge. How are you going to prove you have faith? if you don't demonstrate it by what you do. And here we're seeing the kind of faith that God wants. And it's repeated all through the Scriptures, but it's so clear here. You have to have works of obedience. You have to comply with His will to show that you believe what He says. Faith is demonstrated by works. And without works, you can't even prove you have faith. You can say something about it, but you can't demonstrate it. You can't prove it. James says what is so clear the way to show faith is by works. James says, you can try that, but I'm going to tell you how I'm going to do it. I'm going to show you my faith by my works. He goes on. He, he mentions that just to simply acknowledge the Lord is nothing special. In verse 19, he says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But what thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Think about that. Uh, the devils believe and tremble. Uh, and so here, the kind of faith that he's... Known, now, now he's actually talking about faith without works. Now he's talking about mere acknowledgement. He's talking about believing but not doing anything based upon what you believe. There's nothing special about that. The devils also believe and tremble. You have seen over a long period of time, lots of polls and surveys that are taken uh, about people's basic beliefs. And always here in the United States, especially in the region of the United States where we live, if a, if a poll or a survey is taken, do you believe in God? Oh, the, the results are overwhelmingly positive. Yes, the vast majority of people 
believe in God. But then, when the same pollsters take a poll about how many attend worship services on a Sunday, how many read their Bibles with any regularity at all, oh, the percentage just dropped to the bottom, right? So, almost everybody, certainly in, in the area where we live, almost everybody you would ask, do you believe in God? Almost everybody would say yes. But, all, but then, what you'd find out, among those who said yes, only a small minority of them act upon that to do it. They don't go to church. They, uh, they don't attend any kind of religious service. They don't ever read or study their Bibles. They say they believe, but they don't do anything about that. Where does that put them? Well, it puts them in the category of the demons, right? The demons believe and tremble, but obviously they're not acting in response to the truth of God's Word. And James says uh, so clearly that it cannot be mistaken, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Can you miss that? Do you need any help understanding that clear statement? Faith without works is dead. He goes on. He calls upon us to remember the patriarch Abraham. Here's what he says beginning in verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Every once in a while we talk about the importance of our Old Testament studies. As those of you who are members here know, on Wednesday night we're engaged in a study of the Old Testament law of Moses right now. We, we spend a lot of time talking about the Old Testament. We don't live under that Old Testament law, and sometimes people say, why do we bother? Why do we spend time studying the Old Testament? In fact, I've even known some Christians who just almost got upset with the fact that time was being invested in Old Testament studies. We always point out there's great value there, great moral lessons to learn there. There's also a base of understanding and knowledge that we need from the Old Testament so that we can understand some New Testament references. And there's one of them, right? If you hadn't studied in Genesis to know about the life of Abraham, the, the point that James is making here to us would just go over our heads. If you didn't know who Abraham was, you didn't know what Abraham did, then you, you couldn't make a clear connection with the lesson that James is trying to teach us here. So there certainly is valuable information in studying the Old Testament. He, he talks about a, an episode in the life of Abraham that I think most of us will remember very well. Remember, Abraham and his wife Sarah had no children together, but in their old age, God promised them a child, and the child was born, and it was Isaac. Uh, but then, sometime after that, God told Abraham to take Isaac and offer him uh, as a sacrifice. Uh, an incredible demand, an amazing thing for God to challenge him to do, but Abraham responded. Now, we remember the story is that that he he was ready to offer him as a sacrifice on the altar, had everything laid out, but the, that the angel of the Lord stopped him from doing that. But his faith was demonstrated in the fact that he went to the place, he built the altar, he laid out the wood, he put Isaac on the altar. Notice in verse 21, he had offered in God's mind, it was clear that Abraham was willing to follow through with that. He didn't actually offer him, but in God's mind, it was clear that Abraham had that kind of faith, and he demonstrated it by going all the way through with the process. He was willing to actually put the knife to Isaac, offer him as a sacrifice to God. Now, think about that for a minute. 
What does James say about that? He says his, uh, how his faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. What if it had been the case with Abraham when this request was made, when this instruction from God was laid down, if Abraham had said, okay, I'll do it, but then he never got up to do it. Uh, I'll do that. First thing tomorrow, I'll start out for that. And he never did it. What would we think of Abraham? What would Abraham have proved if he said, yes, Lord, but then didn't do it? He wouldn't be the hero of faith that he is, right? And so James says, by works, his faith was made perfect. He believed God. It was punitive to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. And so we certainly can learn from Abraham's example about faith and the linkage of obedient works. On our virtual Bible study last Thursday night, we, we had one respondent who tried to suggest different than this from Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, Paul makes a reference to Abraham there, beginning at verse 1. He says, "What shall we say then that Abraham our father? Uh, what shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertained to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness." This participant uh, in our virtual Bible study last Thursday night wanted to suggest that the, the case of Abraham proved justification by faith without works. Now, have we got a contradiction here? In fact, he implied that there was a contradiction between Romans 4 and James 2. Actually, there's no contradiction there. If you stop to consider that the kind of works that Romans is talking about, the law, the law of circumcision, the Old Testament law given in that time frame, people weren't justified by merit. People weren't justified by checking off a checklist and saying, okay, I've done everything now, therefore I must be pleasing to God. Abraham wasn't justified by that, by that kind of works, and neither are we. But when it comes to demonstrating faith by obedience, Abraham is held up as an example of that, and we need to understand it as being so. Uh, uh, the point is stated there in verse 24. By works a man is justified, not by faith only. Let me back up just for a minute here. James and Romans. James and Romans. You're familiar with those two epistles. You know what James is? You know what James 2 is? James 2 is arithmetic. James 2 is addition and subtraction. You know what Romans is? Romans is analytical geometry and calculus. Now, it's all truth, but what are you going to do? Romans is difficult to understand. Romans, by many people's estimation, is the most difficult book in the New Testament. There's some very challenging passages in the book of Romans. But on the other hand, James is one of the simplest and most practical epistles in all of the New Testament. Maybe the most practical epistle in the New Testament. So what are you going to do? I'll tell you what we ought to do. We ought to use arithmetic to understand calculus. We ought to use James 2 to understand Romans 4, right? No conclusion that we would come to in Romans 4 should contradict the very obvious truth of James 2, which says, by works a man is justified and not by faith only. I don't know how we can miss that. And, of course, as we have said 
well, I don't want to exaggerate, but I've got to say we've said it at least hundreds of times, if not thousands. James 2.24, faith only. The only place in the Scripture where faith and only are found together. And it says, not by faith only. When all of our denominational friends teach salvation by faith only, they are contradicting James 2.24, which says it's not by faith only. All right. As James goes on, again, he proved his point almost with his first expression in this passage, but he keeps adding on. He gives us one more example of active faith, and that is of Rahab the harlot. Verse 25, likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and sent them out another way. You remember the story of Rahab in the city of Jericho. How she hid, she hid the spies that came to her as they were spying out the city before it was to be attacked. She hid the spies and... and provided them safety. Some people are real tore up about the example of Rahab because she clearly lied in the process. And so some people say, well, is, is she an example of situation ethics? Maybe it's sometimes okay to lie. But she's really not, right? Because her lying is not what co- is commended in Rahab. What's being commended in her is her faith. She had faith. She did something about it. Now, that's not saying that everything she did about it was right, but she had faith and her faith was linked with action. And that's the point of this whole passage. Faith must be coupled with action. And so then, James comes to his firm conclusion. Verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Uh, We understand when a person dies. It's very clear, it's obvious when a person dies. Well, it's also clear and obvious if a person has true saving faith. Faith without works is dead. Faith coupled with works of obedience is alive. And it is a true and saving faith. A simple Bible passage. One that we need to remember well. uh, One that we need to live by. Actually, what's sort of interesting in that text, back up there at the start for just a minute. Do you see he starts out by saying, my brethren, verse 14? We always want to apply this passage to those who are not yet Christians. You've got to have faith and works. And certainly the passage is, is very applicable in that way, and we can certainly make that connection. But he starts, he starts it out by saying, my brethren. And what we need to realize is that this same principle applies to us too. We, even if we are already Christians, we have to keep working works of obedience to demonstrate our continuing faith in the Lord. You can never say, well, I did that already. That doesn't apply to me anymore. It continues to apply to us. We always, whether we're a person just first coming to the Lord, we must demonstrate our faith with obedience. Or whether we're a Christian who's been one for many years, we continue to demonstrate our faith by obedience. Faith is demonstrated by obedience. What's your situation this morning? Are you, are you not yet a Christian? If that's the case, you need to demonstrate your faith in obedience. Hearing the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're a Christian already, but you've stopped doing the things that you know you ought to do, then you're not demonstrating your faith anymore. You've got to correct that. Come back to the Lord in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song. Oh, God.